Now, for those that remain, I'd like to invite you, if you will, to please open your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, we're continuing a series, this brief series leading up to Thanksgiving, where we have been looking at aspects of God's being for which to give thanks. This morning, we are thankful for God's goodness. So Psalm 100 will be the text before us. This is a very well-known psalm that indeed calls us to give thanks unto the Lord. Psalm 100. Hear the word of the Lord. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord he is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people. And the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Would you bow with me in prayer now? Heavenly Father, thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for the truths that the choir just sang. That you are our shepherd. That you are with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. You are by our side. Thank you, Father, for the rich, eternal truth that your love and mercy endure forever. Now, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us work within us so that our minds will be decluttered and we'll be able to focus on you this morning. Grant that by your Spirit we will indeed give you praise, give you thanks, that we will bless your name. And you will be honored this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray to your glory. Amen. It is a good thing to give thanks. Now that is not just a truth that relates to us spiritually. It is a good thing to give thanks because giving thanks affects us positively, emotionally, and physically. Psychologists have studied the effects of, of giving thanks upon people who have a grateful heart and express gratitude. And what they have found is that giving thanks boosts the immune system. It's better than vitamin C. Giving thanks bolsters your resistance to stress. So one of the ways to calm and overcome anxiety, give thanks. It's been found that giving thanks actually lowers depression. It also increases energy, determination, and strength. It also found that giving thanks will help you sleep better at night. Who knew that there were so many benefits to giving thanks? 
And it reminds us that when God gives us this command to give thanks, he's doing so for our good. The call to give thanks is found all throughout the scripture. As Michael read in Colossians this morning, that uh, admonition to prayer, to give thanks, to let the word of Christ dwell within us richly is interwoven with an attitude of gratitude. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with what? With thanksgiving. Certainly the psalms are full of thanksgiving. And Psalm 100 is one of the better known psalms with this exhortation to give thanks. It's known as the, the jubilant. It means to show elation or triumph or to rejoice. And in fact, this psalm begins with a clear command to jubilate. To be full of joy. Notice verse 1, which is the, the catchphrase for all who like myself are tonally challenged. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Joyful noise means to give a cheer of thanksgiving. It's something we've talked about before in many of the psalms that we've looked at. It means to give a cheer. It means to, to loud out an expression of joy because sometimes when you are so delighted at something, you can't contain just an expression of yes. That's the idea here. To make that joyful noise, that expression of thanksgiving such an example is found in an event that took place on August the 15th of 1965. On that date, a huge event took place in music history, or at least pop music history, because it was on that date that the Beatles performed at Shea Stadium. This was at the height of Beatlemania. Just over 55,000 people crammed into Shea Stadium. And when Paul, George, John, and Ringo entered, that entire stadium went ballistic. You can look it up on YouTube. You can see the footage of that event. What was amazing was not just the fact that 55,000 people were there, but the sound that came out, the sounds of sheer joy and delight and excitement. Now, there were measurements taken of the decibel level that night. When the Beatles entered the stadium and people started to scream, the decibel level reached 131.35. Now let me give you something to set that in context. Okay, Beatles enter the stadium, people shout 131 on the decibel meter. The sound of a jumbo jet flying at 100 feet above ground is at 103 decibels. Beatles, 131, Jumbo Jet, 103. That was such the level of excitement, the sounds of joy. And think about that for a moment. That was the sounds that a simple rock group coming in that has no eternal value whatsoever. And we are able to come and to worship the eternal rock. I started to say the rock that never rolls, but that would have been too easy. But we come into the presence of the one who is eternal. Do we not have reason to shout for joy? A reason to, to really lift the roof off of this place and say, Yes, glory be to our God. And notice the scope of this command in verse 1. Make a joyful noise all the earth. In other words, every inhabitant, every object, every created thing is called to give praise unto God. 
Throughout the Psalms, you see these, these images of trees clapping their hands, of mountains leaping for joy, of rocks crying out. The Scripture is always true. I did not find this out till recently, but there is actually a field that studies biological acoustics. It's the field of bioacoustics that studies the sounds that emanate from every created thing. Now, sound is made by vibration. That's how we speak, how we sing. The vocal cords vibrate. Anything that vibrates creates a sound, a frequency. So there have been studies conducted so that, for example, on the microscopic level, the outer shell of the electron of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as it vibrates as the Gregorian chant. Atoms are doing Gregorian chants. Metal larks, these birds, have a vocal range, a range of 300 notes. Piano, 88 notes. Metal art created by God, 300 notes. They've also found that earthworms make small vibrations that sound like staccato sounds. And I wonder, what are earthworms praising God for? Lord, thank you for this dirt. Lord, thank you that I'm not on a hook right now. Earthworms are praising God. All of creation engaging in this call to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But we are called to give praise to God with intentionality. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. That word serve, translated from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, is the word for worship, liturgy. It's a form of that word. It means to, that service is expressed in worship, and worship is service given to God. That's expressed in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That word spiritual worship can also be translated your spiritual service. It's the word liturgy, a form of that word. This is a call to worship God as an act of service unto Him. That's why we call this a worship service. We come in with an attitude not just of thinking that worship is emotion, but worship is work. It takes energy to serve God. Part of that energy, of course, is the effort in getting here. But once we are here, it is that effort to focus our hearts and our minds upon Him. This morning, I couldn't help but pray, even when I was doing my prayer time this morning before I got to church, just saying, Lord, my mind feels so cluttered. Do you ever experience that? Where it's like there's just so much going on. It's just so hard to focus. And I cannot speak for you, but I know for me, it seems to be worse on Sunday mornings. That's where it takes work. To come in that when our, our mind starts to wander, we come back to focus on the Lord. It means that when we come to sing, we sing with all the energy that we have. Because remember, we're covered. Verse 1, make a joyful noise. How is our service to God? Now, I know that God is gracious. And He's promised to be here with us as we gather. And He's true to His word. 
But I can't help but wonder how he would rate our service. Many of you may be like me. There are at least two places on my list that I will not go back to because the service was not good. That may speak ill of me, but I have a feeling many of you understand that. There's one place, a hardware store I'd gone to when I had to repair my mailbox, and I didn't know what I was doing. YouTube can't even help me sometimes. I remember I found somebody there, and I said, I need to fix my mailbox, and I don't know what I need to get. And they replied by saying, well, you can get whatever you want. That's a big help. Thank you. Didn't like the service. Don't go back. God is with us, but I cannot help but think, how many stars would he give our service? He's gracious, and I'm so thankful for that. But in the effort we give, is God thinking, oh, that's three stars. I know what your potential is. See, this is a call for us to give out of a sense of, and notice how it's characterized in verse 2, with gladness. This is not a a Monday morning, oh, i got to go to work and give energy. This is, I get to come into the presence of God. I get to come into the presence of God. I get to worship. This is a time where we come together and there is gladness because we are able to enjoy being in the presence of God. Look down to verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This is the image of coming into the very presence, the very throne room of God, where he has thrown open his gates as the king and has said, come in. Now that is something not to be taken for granted. At the end of Revelation, it reminds us that the gates are shut to the unclean. To those who are are still living and dwelling within sin. So the question is, how can we be clean so that we can come into the presence of God with thanksgiving and with gladness? Otherwise, to be in the presence of God is not going to be a good experience. What can we do to measure up? The joke in my family that when Jody and my wife and I were dating, first Thanksgiving I went to, to eat with her family down in her house. Her dad did something unusual. About an hour before lunch, he said, Mark, come outside. I need you to help me with something. Now, their house was located in a very wooded area. And this, of course, was Thanksgiving. There were leaves everywhere. He said um, he had a leaf blower there. So I thought he wants me to blow off the, the driveway. Sure, I can do that. And he said, no, Mark, we found it's easier to get somebody up on the roof with a leaf blower to blow the leaves out of the gutter. So would you hop up there and, you know, use the leaf blower on the roof? Of course, I said, yes, sir. Went up the ladder with the leaf blower, blowed off the roof. Let me rephrase that, blowed the leaves off the roof. Now, the joke has always been this. Was Clarence joking with me to see what can I make this kid do? Or was this a test? I still don't know the answer to which one. I wonder if it was that test to say, will he, is he willing to work a little? Is he, even when it seems crazy, does he measure up? What would we need to do to measure up to God? What test would we need to pass to say, I can come into your presence? And the truth is, there is no quality test we could pass that would cause us or make us able to go into the presence of God. Nothing. That's why what Jesus did on the cross is absolutely crucial. 
The only way we can enter into the presence of God, according to verse 4, with thanksgiving, with praise, and with gladness is because of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. Because on that day, a great exchange took place. Jesus was sinless. Yet, according to the scripture, he took our sin upon him on the cross. He became my sin and your sin upon the cross. So that by faith, you and I could receive his righteousness credited to our account. We exchanged our sin for his righteousness by faith, by the grace of God. So that in the end, when we stand in the presence of God, it is with gladness. Not because we have earned it, not because we have enough merit to our credit to deserve it, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. So we truly say, Lord, I am glad here because I can be in your presence clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. I would remind you that when Jesus died, one of the many phenomenon that took place is that the temple veil was torn in two. And Matthew goes to great detail to tell us that it was torn in two from top to bottom. As if God reached down himself and tore the temple veil in half so that he could say, enter in to the Holy of Holies. You have an invitation to come and you can come because of what God has done. You see, the reason we have to come into his presence with thanksgiving is found in verses 3 and 5. You see, verses 1, 2, and 4 give the command. Give thanks. Come into His presence. Bless His holy name. Verses 3 and 5 tell us why. Verse 3 tells us that we are to give thanks because of what God has done. Notice in verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. That language of made, making us His people and the sheep of His pasture, that is the language of salvation. He has saved us from meaninglessness by making us something. He has saved us from anonymity by making us His people. He has saved us from wandering with no purpose and no place, and He has made us the sheep of His pasture. And the emphasis in verse 3 is upon he has made us. It's his initiative. His work. As one theologian put it, the only thing I brought to salvation was my sin. Everything else was God's work. And it says that when he made us, it is the work of a skilled carpenter. It is the work of one who does detailed work to create something beautiful. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us of this when Paul wrote uh, at the end of that passage detailing the grace of God. Paul writes, we are his workmanship. The Greek word there is his poema. He has taken something ugly and made something beautiful out of it. He has taken our sin and created a beautiful tapestry of his salvation for his glory. In Boston, there was a large prison that used to sit near the center of town. It was this Charles Street Jail. Built from 1848 to 1851, housed hundreds of prisoners behind its walls. It closed down in 1990 and in many ways became an eyesore to the city until it was bought, renovated, and in 2007 reopened. Not as a jail, but as the Liberty Hotel. 
now with 300 rooms and a fine dining restaurant. It has been totally gutted, totally changed. What used to be a small 8 by 10 prison cell has now been expanded into a luxurious suite you can rent for over $300 a night. That's a picture of what God does. Takes what we feel like is our prison and makes something precious out of it. Takes the things that we feel are burdens and he makes something beautiful out of them. That is what God does because he changes us that what we once were, we are no more. And notice we are made into his people. That's a family word. We are his people. It speaks of identity and belonging. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You know, with the holidays coming up, there's always a mixture of emotions. As Michael prayed earlier, we know that the holidays are difficult for some who are still grieving loss. We know others, it's a struggle, not because there's been loss, because, well, getting together with family, let's just say, is a mixed blessing. It has its ups and downs. In our minds, we long for what we saw Norman Rockwell paint. The family gathered around the table and everything is as it should be. But the reality, most of our gatherings are like the Griswolds. But we still long for that, don't we? Long for that place that says you're home. Be at ease. Be yourself. This past June, I had the first time, I guess it's been four, five years, to visit my hometown of Athens. And I went to see my Aunt Glenore. She's the only one of my dad's family, his siblings, that's still living. And she's in her 80s. Still was going strong. She was burning trash behind her house two years ago, got too close to the fire, burned, and lost a leg. She's in a wheelchair now, struggles with the early dementia, but... I have to tell you, though, when I walked into her kitchen, she wheeled up to the table, and I felt like I was home. There was no need for pretense, no need to put on airs. I was with family. And there was that sense of, it's okay. When God says, you are my people, that's what he's saying to us. Your home. I know you. And I love you anyway. You don't have to pretend you're something you're not. I have made you my people. That imagery is also conveyed by what he says next. We are the sheep of his pasture. And often we camp out on the idea of sheep, that we are sheep, but I think the emphasis is on his pasture. It pictures the, the language of what is described in Psalm 23, which the choir sang beautifully about. God has prepared a place for us where we are taken care of. He has provided for us. And the only way into this pasture is through Christ. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find what? Find pasture, provision, protection, peace. 
And that's available to us now through Christ. And it is available to us because of who God is. Verse 5 emphasizes that. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Now, it's greatly debated what is meant by good. And I think in this verse, steadfast love and faithfulness expand on what is meant by good. Nevertheless, philosophers debate what is meant by saying something is good. Usually, it goes down to what's called a utilitarian definition. In other words, they deem that what is good is what is beneficial. But to me, that's very dangerous because in our minds, we can twist things to say, well, yeah, you know, stealing a bank would be or stealing money would be very beneficial to me. But that's not good. So there has to be a standard of goodness. Now, if we say there's a standard of goodness, that standard cannot be outside of God. Why? Because God is good. What that would mean is there's something outside of God by which He must measure up to. And if God has to measure up to something, that thing would then be greater than God, which is not possible. So I like this definition of goodness. Goodness is when something is all that it can be and should be. In other words, goodness is being all you can be and should be. Now to say that it's what we should be means that there's a standard by which we must attain to. Something is saying this is what should be and that standard is God because God alone is good. God alone is all that He can be and should be. He's not in the process of becoming. He already is. He is complete and He is perfect without limit. He is good without limit. You see, some things have a limit on perfection. Think, for example, in the world of sports, bowling. What is the best, most perfect score you can get in bowling? 300. If somebody comes to you and they say, I, you would not believe the game I bowled. I bowled 350. You know there was an eraser somewhere there and they don't really know what they're doing. There's a limit on perfection. But not so with God. God's goodness does not have an upper limit. Why? Because you're dealing with qualities. Steadfast love. Faithfulness. There's no end to those things. His goodness is boundless. His steadfast love has no end. His faithfulness is beyond. That's why we can say God is good all the time. Because even as circumstances come that are difficult and challenging, the goodness of God has not changed one bit. He is still rich and eternal in His steadfast love and His faithfulness. So the question is, do we dwell on and focus on those things? Do we give thanks for those things? Because God is this rich this rich vault of love. Are we experiencing that? I was curious about something regarding gift cards as we approach the holidays. Because gift cards kind of become the go-to gift. You don't know what to get somebody? Gift card to Target. There you go. And I was curious how much money is left out there from unused gift cards. From statistics from the last few years, $3 billion. $3 billion from gift cards that are unredeemed because they're given and they put in a drawer and you forget you've got them. 
or because you've got $1.29 left on that gift card and never reuse it. And over time, that $1.29 becomes $3 billion. How much are we leaving of God's steadfast love and goodness on the card? Are we limiting His love in our lives and His faithfulness? You see, this is a call for us to come and enjoy God. To enjoy His goodness and His steadfast love. And it's available to you today. In Christ, His goodness is available to you. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and I'm going to make my way. I'll be standing here at the front. And if you are curious about what it means to, to follow Christ as your Savior or to experience the love of God, as we stand and sing, I want to invite you to do something very bold. And that would be to come down the aisle, and just say, Pastor, I want to know more about this love. I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. And what I'll do is I'll ask you just to have a seat on the front row. Then after the service is over, we'll spend time talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I know many of you have been followers of Jesus for many years. But you know deep in your heart that there's so much clutter, so much distraction, so much even sin that... You're not dwelling in His abiding and abounding love. This morning you may need to come just to the kneeling benches that are to my right and to my left and to just kneel in prayer and to say, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. This altar is open for you to do that. Father, we come into your courts with thanksgiving and with gladness today because you are rich in mercy, abounding in love. Your goodness reaches beyond the sky. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being so good to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.